podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly view system, DLS. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, which this week comes from the Lambeth Courtrooms, which is the new home of the Cricketer magazine. We're going to be debating the whole issue of the scheduling of English cricket for 2020 and the future organisation of the game. Also, we're going to hear in the show from Mike Gatting his views on the plans for the year 2020. And later on, a little segment from Darren Goff about his favourite test match and also an unusual fan letter he got after winning Strictly Come Dancing. But first, we're putting the ECB in the dock for all their rather confused messaging for the year 2020, the scheduling that they've outlined, and particularly the competition that they're calling the 100, but they haven't yet really decided how it's going to work. So we're using a couple of cricketer staff as prosecutor and defendant, and I'm, of course, the judge. All wise, court is now in session. The Honourable Judge Simon, the analyst, Hughes, presiding. Please be seated. Today's case is that of the 100, the ECB's idea for a new short-form tournament from 2020. A cunning plan or a crime against cricket? Prosecutor Turnville, please state your case. Thank you, my lord. There appeared to be a consensus or majority who felt that English and Welsh cricket needed a T20 rival to the IPL and Big Bash albeit 17 years after we unveiled the format on a sceptical world. It needed to be in the summer holidays, with some terrestrial coverage. It does seem that many cricket fans in this country, outside the traditional groups, are not interested in going to support the county. Spare us the history lesson, Mr Turnbull. Is this going anywhere? Sorry, my lord. Since we first received word in mid-April that the ECB were planning something a bit different, things have gone badly wrong. No places in team names so as not to upset rival football fans. Players like Joe Root and Ben Stokes allocated a team for marketing purposes only, but will not play. And worst of all, this ten ball over idea. Ten balls from one bowler just seems too long. And it just gets stranger and stranger with each announcement or news leak. My lord, I ask you, when does it cease to be cricket? I fear, my lord, that the 100 Project is like a giant snowball careering down a wintry hill or a giant oil tanker struggling to change course. Okay, okay, enough metaphors, Mr Turnbull. Sorry, my lord. I really fear it is going to be difficult to silence the scorn and vitriol that is being heaped on the 100. A return to the world standard T20 may have to be the order of the day perhaps with blocks of overs from one end to speed things up and accommodate the BBC. Although please note, my lord, Gloucestershire and Kent at Bristol the other day managed 20 overs in 75 minutes, allowing fans to watch England play Croatia in the World Cup semi-finals. 
I still think that is an achievable goal. I rest my case, my lord. Uh, well, well put, Mr Turnbull. Now we must hear from the defence lawyer, Gibbs. So for me, the key aspect of the 100-ball cricket is to get people talking about cricket who wouldn't usually be talking about cricket. And if we can say one thing about what's happened so far is it's definitely got people talking. I mean, yes, other people complaining. Traditionists won't like it. It's 100-ball cricket. But, I mean, end of the day, it's still cricket again. And what we need more and what everyone's saying we need more of is to get it on terrestrial TV. This is going to get it on terrestrial TV. There are some things in there that we know won't stay there for the actual duration of the tournament for example the LBW was a, a smokescreen a hoax if you will one thing we could go on board with is the need to change each end I mean surely the concept of changing each end was, was based around a test match where there was deterioration from one end one and the other bowlers bowl from both ends in a 20 end going too fast Mr Gibbs uh, just tell us what you mean by changing ends so I mean correct me if I'm wrong but I believe the concept of of the 100 ball was to to alter the deliveries involved in the overs and possibly bowl a number of overs from one end um, to speed up the game. There are rumours to why it was shortened, but nothing's been confirmed yet. But why do we need to change from either end? Just because we've always done it. So it's just these things which, yes, they're new ideas, yes, they're innovation, but why is innovation always got to be bad? It's creating a new product. It's going to hopefully get in front of a new audience. We don't know that yet, but that's the plan. And it's going to bring in new brands who might not want to get involved with domestic cricket, especially in the moment. Thank you, Mr Gibbs. Certainly, if the game is played as fast as you speak, it'll work <laughs> extremely well. Any comments to return with Mr Turbeville? Two clichés spring to mind, my lord. A camel is a horse devised by committee, and it seems to me that this innovation, the hundred, is uh, something that has been thought up by a group of whiz kids at the ECB that there really is no time to, or no need to change the T20 format. It's a proven format around the world. And the second cliche that springs to mind, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Any cliches from you, Mr Gibbs? Surely all publicity is, is good publicity for the game. People were probably against one-day cricket when that first came in. People called T20 hit and giggle when that first came in. Both have undoubtedly opened the games up to, to larger segments of the British public. If this does the same, I think it's absolutely perfect. Change doesn't have to be seen as a bad thing. Well, I think what you're saying, Mr Gibbs, is that the population of England that follows cricket are largely Luddites. I think that's a little unfair, but let me just retire for a few moments before delivering a verdict. Well, I've considered all the arguments, and I must admit I find Mr Turberville's propositions a little bit more compelling and convincing. I just can't see how this new tournament can really catch on. I think it's the ECB listening to too many marketeers and not enough cricketing people. So I've decided that I find the ECB guilty, charged with myopia and misguidedness. Sentencing will be passed later. Well, that's a sort of semi-light-hearted look at a very serious subject, which is how the season from 2020 will be orientated, the scheduling, how different competitions fit together. And it's very much after listening to the readers of the Cricketer and the survey that we conducted, nearly a 1,000 replies, very 
coherent, they were very thoughtful, very well written. And so we've tried to give a, a spread of the, the game throughout the season, four-day cricket really dominating the season overall, and try to fit the other competitions around it, Hugh, really. So uh, how do you feel that the, the overall blueprint that we've created works? Well, the restrictions are kind of stifling away, aren't they? You, you, you set out with these amazing intentions and you soon find out why you can't do something and how you can't do things. And it, it was quite sort of um, eye-opening, wasn't it? I newfound sympathy for Alan Fordham at the ECB and his task of sort of trying to... What was the, what was the quote you used? Um, trying to get a quart into days. a pint pot. Yeah. Trying to get a quart into a pint pot. Proverbial. Yeah, because it's 750 days of county cricket in all its formats mm. to fit into about 200 days. I, I came into it as usual living in the dark ages or living in the past and I said to you I really want a, a test match every fortnight starting on a Thursday five days test cricket with nine days of anticipation and you pointed out to me quite rightly that test touring teams wouldn't stomach that now would they? Well just because it takes too long you know I mean yeah. this India series coming up is five tests in six weeks mm. and teams don't like to be away That's from right. home for so long do they because they've got other stuff to fit in I mean teams are so busy now players are so busy generally there's only that short window in between various T20 tournaments which they want to get off to and teams don't believe in sort of extensive preparations and warm up matches or practice matches between tests because it just stretches the whole thing out of two months so but our, a lot of our best intentions didn't quite come off did they so we said we'd like to have gone back to 9-9 split in the championship, but we kind of decided we couldn't do that because as much as we would like an increase in championship games from 14 to 16, we didn't think we could. It's difficult to fit it in in yeah, the season with all the other yeah. things, especially yeah. with a new tournament in the year 2020. Yeah, so we had 8-10, but what we did do was put a, a round of championship games in overseas in Barbados, Stroke, UAE. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was an interesting idea, which... Alan Fordham, the guy that, at the ECB, former North Ants batsman, is now in charge of the scheduling at the ECB and, and the way the season works. And he said that the idea of playing a, an early season championship round in, say, Barbados or Dubai, where a lot of counties go anyway yeah. for pre-season practice, would, would be an interesting idea, but it could be up at 100 grand or more per county in costs, which they probably wouldn't really want to spend. No, some counties do, but I suppose some counties don't and don't, and don't want to, I suppose. But, uh, well, it's an interesting for, uh, idea. We put it out there, didn't we? I, and, and, you know, anyone uh, listening to this, please send in, in your views. You can reply to, say, the analyst, uh, at the analyst, the Twitter account. You know, what do you think about the idea of playing your first championship match of the season maybe late March, early April, in Dubai or Barbados. Might be a horrible idea. You might love the idea. Let us know. Mm. And the other thing we wanted to do, and a lot of our readers in the replies said they wanted to do it, was to bring back a Gillette Cup-style knockout competition with the minor counties. But again, I think we were thwarted in doing that really, weren't we? And I think what we did do was go back to the idea of an old B&H Cup-style format with three groups of six, was it, or four? Four, four groups of five. Four, four groups of five. Like, you know, I remember you playing in it, I remember, yeah. in the 80s. And, uh, so well, that, it worked well, yeah. that tournament, because it, it got the, sort of, what was then 55 over cricket out of the way quite early on. And it means you didn't have to travel too far, because it was played on a regional basis. You've got a few local derbies sort of built in. And in, in, in that competition, I think each team had... 
two home games and two away games, which I admit is not ideal with the Royal London each team gets a few more home games something has to give yeah. and with an extra tournament this new city tournament to fit in something has to sort of slightly reduce in scale and that we thought was a 50 over competition so to try and fit that in in two weeks in late May with each team playing four games two home and two away and then semis and final felt like the, the most the, the best compromise yeah and then we kept the blast, but had slightly fewer games. And then the big thing was the City T Twenty tournament, which we, we rejected the idea. We of rejected 100. the idea of a hundred. Yeah, um, it does seem to be you know earning a lot of scorn the rising, doesn't it? All this ten balls from one end and stuff. Uh, and we we we're making it a world the City T Twenty with regional geographical names and not shying away from kind of the things that. The ECB appear to be shying away from. Well, I, I think the thing about the hundred is that it just seems an unnecessary extra format, and everybody's saying, "Oh, it simplifies the game." It's another format that people have got their get, got to get their head round, which to me complicates the game. Mm-hmm. And T Twenty is is now a very successful formula of cricket. They're already doing something very different by having eight city-based teams. That, for me, is the transformation, the dynamic. The modern, you know, the innovation, if you like. I don't think it needs anything else because people now understand that T20. Look at the crowds that, that some of these counties are getting now. You know, 24,000 at a Roses match and sold out at the Oval and Lords pretty much. There is a lot of popularity for this format. And with those eight teams, which will be very strong, and some of the matches will be on terrestrial TV, hopefully most of the England players will be involved at some stage. That seems to me like enough of a transformation. Maybe they should try and find a way of speeding them up to make sure that they, it fits into two and a half hours. So, you know, the cut-off is nine o'clock, and if you don't bowl your overs by such a time, you only get the number of overs that you've bowled back when you bat, for instance. Good idea, yeah. Oh, we'll have four overs from one end and blocks of four. Yeah, four, no, four, that's, four, four, yeah. that's a good idea because it works in junior cricket really Gosh. well. Did it, did it the night to myself, yeah, so absolutely. So people, all our readers familiar with the uh, wall chart we bring out in April, we've done a kind of similar perspective or draft wall chart for our blueprint, which looks really nice in the magazine. Yeah. And the core of it, by the way, is to have an even spread of championship matches throughout the season with at least two rounds of championship four-day games in every month, even when the new tournament is is going on, the new city-based tournament. And just to kind of get another view, I thought I'd talk to a man who cares passionately about the county game and watches it intently and is still very actively involved in cricket, in fact, he's the chairman of the World Cricket Committee, but also uh, is very heavily involved with Middlesex. That's Mike Gatting. In between lunch and tea at a Laws match recently, I just chatted to him briefly about what he thought about the scheduling of four-day cricket in the year 2020. I'd like to see it spread across the season like it used to be. Um, Why? That, because I don't think that you can play cricket uh, too two seasons because it's basically like playing two seasons you play one at the beginning of the season one at the end of the season and there's very very little in between it has to be continuous and people talk about they want blocks of T20 stuff and they probably want that for the same reason yeah, they're prepared to sacrifice say the county cricket for a block here and a block there we're losing the art of spinners so that would also be for me another reason why you'd need to play perhaps in when the summer's its highest where the pitches might be driest and you might get some better cricket and we might learn to play 
uh, the spinners again. So that would be my reasoning. What about the 100? What's your view on that? Still don't know what it is yet. So it's very difficult. So at the moment, it's sort of 15 overs plus 10 balls. And is it going to be two overs, five overs? I suppose it had to be done, but I'm very surprised that it was different. But I know why it's different, because they need to get it on TV. It needs to be a shorter advert for the game. But it's difficult when you've got something so successful like the T20 to have another one that's the same. You couldn't have two, so they had to do it differently. So they, they got themselves into a bit of a muddle, but how successful it's going to be is down to whether we get the Indian cricketers over here or not, and I'm not sure we will. So good to hear from Gat, wasn't it? And then we've also got Mike Atherton, Nick Compton, Rod Bransgrove, Brian Henderson, Sky's head of cricket, Bob Willis and Kevin Hand. In the mag. Yeah. And Brian Henderson has come up with a very interesting name of somebody he'd quite like to see presenting or commentating on the cricket. Michael McIntyre, not everybody's cup of tea. He says his mum would love watching him with Stuart Broad, Nasser Hussain and uh, Michael McIntyre in the commentary box. Uh, Kevin Hand's got a... Doesn't that... Doesn't, do you think that possibly undermines the credibility of a competition if you get a comedian involved? I mean, I know Michael McIntyre's a clever bloke, very popular, and obviously likes cricket, but does, do you think that sort of strikes at uh, uh, the wrong note? Well, on the one hand, and I'm very good at playing devil's advocate, on the one hand, the traditionalists won't like it, but on the other hand, people at Sky and the ECB are saying that that's, they want a new audience. They want people who don't go to cricket regularly, so it works on sort of two levels, really, doesn't it? And Kevin Hand is, is a passionate advocate of T10 Mm. Yeah. It says, don't bother with 100, have T10. Well, that's going to happen ultimately, isn't it? When people's attention span gets even shorter than it is now, in another yeah. 10 years' time, probably. I mean, Michael McIntyre presenting cricket on Sky or whoever, BBC, I don't know. I, I think it... I don't like the idea, personally. I still like the idea of, of cricket people, but we just have to make sure that we explain the game very clearly to be uninitiated without being condescending to the people who are fans. Yeah, maybe it's the comedy element. I mean, I used to think that Michael Parkinson would have made a, a fantastic host of BBC cricket. Yeah, because um, he cares passionately yeah, about the game. He knows his cricket, doesn't yeah. he? And he, plays, yeah. he used to play cricket for Barnsley yeah. and yeah. Yorkshire Seconds, I think, didn't mm. he? Yeah. So maybe maybe don't go for comedians, but go for good journalists. Well, or people in the entertainment business who have a bit of a cricketing background. So in the mag, other than that, uh, for this month... I, I like your feature, actually, the, the, the 30 year anniversary of that mad summer of 1988. Yeah, the four and a half captains. So we've interviewed, or I've interviewed Mike Gatting, John Embury, Chris Cowdery, uh, Graham Gooch, and Derek Pringle about that mad summer when they had four permanent captains and Pringle stood in at the Oval when Gucci hurt his finger. But uh, Chris Cowdery was very good on it. Yeah. And, uh, he's funny on it, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he's funny. captain at Headingley. And... Yeah, they didn't recognise him at the gate and he had to go and park <laughs> in the rugby league car park and he said he had more exercise on the 300-yard walk from the car to the ground than he did over the course of the four days. And uh, He got injured soon afterwards and, and then lost, lost the gig, didn't he? But he, he said some interesting things about how the England selectors picked him as captain for that series with a view to him going to India that winter because they thought he'd be a good touring captain <laughs> in fact I've written a blog about it today on the Cricketer website but uh, it does seem strange you don't just pick the best in those days you didn't pick the best captain you picked the best touring captain it shows how times <laughs> have changed it in a way it goes back to the original point we had about 
tours then in those days lasting a lot longer yeah. so you, you almost needed the odd character yeah, he, he to keep, been good, keep you going during a, he's a long very genial, spell isn't he yeah. and, 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 and an entertainer and um, very diplomatic isn't he with all that cavalry blood in him mm. so he would have been quite good in India wouldn't he I mean it was uh, it, it shows how chaotic selection was in those days yeah. so whistling up captains at a moment's notice and John Embry captaining for two tests when he didn't even captain for Middlesex and I don't know I mean it was all it was a mess from the moment Mike Gatting lost the job and that was a spurious thing in itself because he it, it ostensibly lost the job because he supposedly took a barmaid to his room but actually it was to do with the, the row he'd had with Shaka Rama the year before anyway well it's, it's a mag as usual packed with great stuff real spread of of interesting comment and features, really focused on this blueprint, the idea for the year 2020, how we think the season should be orientated. And please have a look at that uh, and, and read it. Don't forget you can get uh, 20% off your subscription of the Cricketer magazine if you go to the cricketer.com forward slash podcast and there is a form to fill in there to get a cheap subscription of the magazine. And by the way, thank you for all your replies to the survey we conducted, which has been the basis of this blueprint. After the break, we're going to hear from Darren Goff. Welcome back. And in this half of the programme, we're going to be talking about Yorkshire and specifically a couple of very well-known Yorkshire players. Firstly, Adil Rashid. He's certainly the name on everyone's lips at the moment. Should he be picked for the first test for England at Edgebaston? There are good arguments on both sides, but I think overall it would be wrong because he's declared that he isn't available for playing for Red Bull cricket for Yorkshire. And that is a a very strong declaration, having invested a lot of time in Rashid over the the many years that that they have Yorkshire. They deserve something back, and Rashid declined to be available for the Roses match, but still said he was prepared to play for England in the Test match. And it's not just that. I mean, that's a, a, a sort of philosophical issue, really. But also, in my view... He hasn't played enough red ball cricket recently to be really a proven case for inclusion anyway. He's very good in white ball, and yes, he has bowled extremely well against the Indians in the last couple of ODIs and taken key wickets. But it's a very different matter bowling with four or five men on the boundary, bowling your ten overs where batsmen are mainly trying to slog you, and also the white ball being hard to read a bowler's variations and bowling with a red ball possibly bowling 15-20 overs trying to hold an end up while the faster bowlers operate from the other end and, and trying to keep it tight with fielders perhaps round the bat that is a very different issue uh, the red ball is easier to recognise the googlies and, and top spinners as well so I think from all points of view it would be a, a mistake for England to pick Rashid and they should go with either Dominic Bess or Jack Leach for the spinner's berth and Rashid, well, if he can show some allegiance to Yorkshire in the Red Bull game in perhaps the, the foreseeable future, then England should certainly consider him for the winter tour. Now, the other Yorkshireman we're talking about today is Darren Goff. He did a, an event for the Cricketer magazine the other day, and he's always an incredibly entertaining character. Actually, I worked out that between us, we've had 12 knee operations. He's had eight of them, but he's still smiling and he's still prepared to you know, stick his neck out and, and make funny observations about the game. Of course, you can hear him on TalkSport every afternoon at about four o'clock in the afternoon. He's an absolutely devoted member of their team. He's always got some funny stories, particularly the story of a, a viewer who wrote to him when he was on Strictly Come Dancing. But first, I asked him what was his favourite test match. Uh, the test match 
In England, which I remember the most, was obviously the Lord's Test, West Indies. You remember that one, the two, yeah. day, two and a half Well, you set the tone for that by that catch. Yeah, well, we'd lost the first test and got booed off yeah. at Edgbaston. Literally got, it was, I thought we were going to get lynched. Uh, we lost against West Indies that game with that Kirtley Ambrose and Walsh Ball and, and, and everything. Um, and then we went to Lords and we were losing again, weren't we? And then that catch, Third Caddick round. weren't really bowling that well. He, 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 if Caddick would have had a bad game then, he was going to be dropped. So his confidence was low, and I caught that catch in that um, uh, Sherwin Campbell. Was it Sherwin Campbell? Yeah. Sherwin Campbell. Yeah. And I caught it, and it changed from that moment. Uh, we bowled them out, and then me and Corky at the winning runs, and never forget that. Because I went into Corky, Corky always uh, says it, when I went into bat, we still needed about 35, and then two wickets left. It was Matthew Ogard's debut, wasn't it? Yeah. Because he was just biting, biting his hand up. He had no rubber left on it. When we were in the room, he literally bit me all rubber away. He'd have had to go out. He was a nervous wreck. He has no confidence, Ogard. You might not think that, because he's, uh, he's quite a shy guy, isn't he, yeah. uh, Ogie? Yeah. Um, awkward. He's, he's awkward he, in company. Very, very awkward, yeah. Awkward in company. He's awkward to be around, to be fair. <laughs> um, he speaks highly of you as well. Yeah. 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 And um, he... When I went in, I had the Yorkshireman, aren't they? But this They're is all the same. I mean, you know. This is when I went in, and Corky, never forget it, because Corky were quite nervous, a lot of nervous energy. Um, and, and I went into him, I said, Corky, just imagine if we win today, how famous we'll be. And he just laughed. And from that moment on, we never even talked about the pressure of the game. We were just trying to, I said, listen, I'm just going to try and block it, which is impossible for me to do. Mm. But I was just trying to block it, and Corky were playing these shots. And when we won, that was just an amazing feeling that night. The celebration that evening was one of the best I've ever had. And, and somehow from that game, I managed to end up on Crime Watch. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Well, I had this uh, Range Rover back then uh, in that tour, and it got broken into at Regent's Park Marriott. Just, just down, down the road. Yeah, got broken into. Um, to be fair, I think I left it open. <laughs> uh, so broken is a bit of a sort of I did tell them that. But they pinched everything out of my car. And they've got them on, see, I'm watching the CCTV the next day, and there's a bloke there, put my coat on, I've got seven pairs of Oakleys given to me that day. Seven pairs. It got my brand new coat and cost me about 150 quid from in town. It really my England bags. Both England bags down with the Darren street. Goff on yes, the side. with the street. But the worst thing is, he nicked my original England cap, uh, with 50 on, because I didn't. There we test there, and my shirts, my everything. But they found four days later uh, a bag with all my kit in it. But he nicked my cap. Obviously, I never saw the glasses again, and never saw yeah. the well, coat okay, again, right. and the shoes. And yeah. uh, poor, I had so many pairs of shoes in that car. He took everything. How he got down that street with all those bags, I do not know. Because I had to get the attendant to help us at Lords to carry the bags, and he was there. He got me coat on, my hat, <laughs> walking with the two bags, and they put it on crime watch. Never caught him. Never caught him. Couldn't see him because he had me out. No. And, you ne- and, you never, and you never got your cat back? Never got the cat back, no. Mm. So gave me another one, yeah. Mm. It's not the same. Well, that's, uh, that, that's, that's a great story. Um, you must tell the story, which, which is my favourite story about you. Uh, you know, height of his fame, probably as a cricketer, was round about then, I guess, 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, winning the Ashes, uh, well, not, not winning the Ashes, but helping okay, to win the Ashes in 2005. <laughs> well, no, but you had a big influence on that 2005 series as well. 
But then came Strictly, and it's, it's then that you started getting correspondence, and you know what I'm leading to here, don't you? Correspondence from people who were not cricket fans, and so I wrote some surprising things to you. Give us a little yeah. insight into well, that. Well, like you say, if you like cricket, which obviously all you guys do, um, you know what cricketers look like, don't you? Because most of the time, most of them have caps on. And a lot of people who don't follow cricket, even now, the people that watch Sky, the numbers are pretty low, aren't they? If you're going to be honest. Yeah. They don't really see you. Listen on radio, you can't really describe what someone looks like. So, and there's loads of listeners listening to Test Match Special, wherever it may be, but they don't really recognise you. You're not a, a face people recognise. When we played, to a certain extent, we were well known because Channel 4 showed us, um, um, which was a massive year. What's, how many people watched that game? Uh, 10 million last. 10 million. Yeah. So, so we had a certain one of us were kind of recognised to a certain extent. But when you do Strictly, it's an only audience. 14 million people watching you on Strictly suddenly recognise you wherever you, you go and people uh, correspond with you who you never thought would correspond with you. Uh, they suddenly like you. They don't like cricket, but they like you as a person, an individual personality. And I got so many different letters from so many different pair of people. But I got one letter which I wish I'd have got the original because I kept it. I used to take it everywhere with me because it was such a good letter. But eventually, just with putting it in my pocket and stuff like that, I've had to keep rewriting it. But it is the original words of the original letter. And you won't believe it. I didn't know he was going to ask me this, but I have got it. You have? I have got it because it was in my bag. And it's here. <laughs> it's in my work bag. And it's here, the letter. So this is not the original paper it was on, but it's the original letter. So it says, Dear Darren, I love watching you on Strictly Come Dancing. And I'd run up a huge phone bill voting for you. <laughs> I cut your photograph out of the news of the world and took it to bed with me every night. <laughs> I dreamt of us together, your muscled torso against mine, our lips entwined. And I wonder whether we could meet up one night so I could teach you a few dance moves between the sheets. <laughs> I've included my phone number and hope we can meet up one night in love in an anticipation, Jonathan. <laughs> well, I hope you've enjoyed that slightly hodgepodge of a show. Please send in your thoughts to The Cricketer Magazine or uh, to me on Twitter at The Analyst. Simon Mann will be back from his holidays next week when we'll look ahead to those five tests against India. In the meantime, enjoy the weather and thanks for listening. Podcast Network.